Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. All right, good morning, C4. So glad that you're here this morning. Get a Bible this morning on a device or paper version. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 19. Love you to turn there. As we've been saying for weeks now, God just keeps meeting so many people and bringing so many people to us. And we've been saying conversations, baptisms, coffees. We're hearing how people are meeting Christ, reconnecting with Christ, wrestling with Christ, being confronted by Christ. And so we started this series called Encounters with Jesus, looking at six different people to see how they are either transformed and or turned off by Christ and how that interaction goes. And like I've been saying week in and week out, uh, the reason why we're doing this series is for many reasons. Number one, you might be the person I'm preaching about today and at the end of this message, you're going to have an opportunity to truly meet Jesus. This is a series to teach us on how to interact with a person like this so we can point them to Jesus. This is a visionary series to prepare us for the thousands of people that God is going to assign this church in other churches. And then, as we've been doing at every single service, we take a moment in humility to pray for this type of person in our family, in our workplaces, and in our region. Now, it's been quite a journey. Week one, we started, and remember, we've talked about this. Some of the hardest people to bring to Jesus are the nicest people, the best people, the most religious, whether it's religious, spiritual, or secular. People that find Jesus unbelievably difficult to engage with are tend to be the best people among us because Jesus not only claims profound things about himself, but he says there is no scale. God doesn't grade on a curve. Nothing that we do, civically, religiously, or spiritually, will ever give us contact with God. And we looked at the story of Nicodemus, a civic leader, a religious leader, an intellectual. Uh, People would have said, if anyone knows God, that guy knows God. And as he sat with Jesus, Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus is that archetype of being good and kind and being lost all at once. We move, member from that supposed insider of Nicodemus to the absolute supposed outsider, a woman caught in adultery, caught in the bed with a man and dragged before Jesus. Jesus saves her life physically from a stoning and then says to her, I don't condemn you forgives her on the spot, does this radical thing, but then does something even more offensive and life-giving, depending on you take it. He says to her, so now go and leave your lifestyle of sin. And we began to again hear the truth that God is love. That means God is willing to welcome anyone to meet him. But if you truly meet Jesus, you, you will never be affirmed in anything that the scriptures say is sin. If you meet him, you'll experience forgiveness, but then radical holiness and life change. Then we move from insider to outsider to enemy. Remember the deeply intellectual, passionate man named Saul, spoke multiple languages, grew up across the world in all sorts of urban centers, deeply faithful, full of anger and bitterness. He was there at the murder of the very first Christian. He was on the hunt for Christians. He was almost like an ancient version of what we're seeing today in ISIS. Deeply smart, educated, deeply fervor in faith, and yet totally blind. And Jesus met him and transformed his life. Then last week, we met someone completely different once again. We we met a young man, 
probably a 20-something, came from a great family, phenomenal job from the 1% of his day, and we found that he was good and kind, and he was rich, like dirty rich, and not only that, he, he was really religiously cool, and so his friends would have said, if anyone's seeking for God, we're not sure if he knows them, but if anyone's really looking for answers, even beyond the wealth he's got, well, it's, it's him. And he came to Jesus, remember, and he begged Jesus. This guy who had money and serious, serious influence begged Jesus and said, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And, and Jesus simply said these things. There's just one thing you lack. You just need to go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll get treasure in heaven. And then, then come follow me. And it says that at that, the man's face fell. Remember, he went away sad because he had great wealth. How, did he, how do I get eternal life, Jesus? And he said, well, you just need to give up all you love and all you trust in and love and trust me more. And for this man, for that situation, money was his life. It was his fallback position. It was his security, his savior, his leader, his identity, his, his Lord, his God. And Jesus said, well, just give up that. And he said, no. Well, today we move to another person, very different than the others. This man would have been hated, and I use the word appropriately, hated by his family. This man was absolutely hated by his own people. This person had a serious government position. He's in power, but his whole lifestyle is based on compromise, political injustice, bribes, and ripping off the poor. Today, we get to see the story of a collaborator. Today, we get to see the story of an institutional thief. Today, Jesus comes and he talks to a tax collector. Nicodemus came asking, the adulterous woman was forced to come, Saul was confronted by Jesus, the rich young ruler came begging and went away sad, but this last man that we're looking at today, he's curious, but he's not seeking really at all. But today we get to see God in real power, in real time, change another person. Here's how our story begins today in Luke 19.1. Jesus entered Jericho and was just passing through. Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the Bible. It was founded in 3000 BC. It is called the city of palm trees. It was in Jesus' time on one of the main trade routes, and so it makes sense. This is a place of commerce, but it's deeper than that. It was a very popular city in Jesus' time. Why? Because Herod's family had decided to make it a significant center. They built their winter palace there. They built a theater there, a hippodrome, and very famous gardens. This is where people actually used to go on vacation. Not only that, in the middle of the Judean wilderness, that's where Jericho is, this had a huge natural spring that's actually still used today. And so it formed an oasis 20 kilometers away from Jerusalem. Now, we think 20 kilometers is nothing in our day with cars, but when you're walking, trust me, 20 kilometers is a long way in the wilderness. This sets the stage for Jesus' coming encounter with only one particular tax collector. So Jesus is on the move, and by the way, if you read Luke, Jesus is on a chronological journey to Jerusalem now. He has made the decision, it is now time under God the Father's will to go and die for the sins of the world. And so, he's not just randomly passing through Jericho, this is on his way to face his death. Now here's something even more profound if you read Luke. The conversation we just had last week with the rich young ruler just has happened. So Jesus has just had this young adult ruler walk away sad, and then in Luke he heals a blind man, and then the story that we're about to read today, the story of Zacchaeus happens. Why does it happen this way? Because Zacchaeus is a contrast to last week. These are bookends to see how you miss or gain eternal life when you're wealthy. 
So Jesus comes, and let me say this again. This is not random. Though he's passing through on his way to ultimate destiny, he has one person in mind. He has come to meet Zacchaeus, but this person never expected the encounter in the first place. He's not really, truly looking. It says in verse 2, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and oh, he was wealthy. Now, I learned this this week. Maybe you know this. Do you know that the name Zacchaeus means clean and innocent? That's what Zacchaeus means. Zacchaeus was anything but clean and unbelievably spiritually dirty. He's a tax collector. Many of us know the story. He's a Jewish middleman between the Jews and the Roman occupational government. Let me bring the fervor of this. This would be like a French or Dutch person during World War II collaborating with the Nazis. Tax collectors in our days have a bad rap. They take our money. We want to keep our money. This is different. This is about institutional injustice. This is is brutal. Jewish tax collectors made a deal with the devil. They sold their soul for money. They're working for an occupational force called the Romans. The Romans over these years have removed ethnic rights. By Jesus' times, thousands have been imprisoned or murdered by crucifixion. And to the Jewish mind, Rome and Romans represented everything hostile to the one true living God. Now, as you read history outside of the scriptures, historians tell us that tax collectors were involved in mass exploitation through lying, cheating, bribing, and stealing. They overtaxed their own people and on the backs of their family and friends through an occupational government. That's how they got wealthy. And it's not only that, it's worse than that. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He's the district superintendent. And I learned this week, you had to bid for this position. So you had to actually want this and pay for this. And Zacchaeus had. He's rich. I mean, really rich. And he had not gained his fortune from from landed or generational wealth, but entrepreneurial activity of the worst kind. He would take a cut of the commissions from all the other tax collectors who are ripping off all their family, friends, and neighbors. Oh, and there's more. Like I've shared before, if you're a Jew and you decided to do this job, you immediately decided that you were going to be an outcast from society. Immediately, when you became a tax collector, you were disqualified to be a judge or witness in any case because you were that untrusted. Immediately, when you signed up, you were excommunicated from the synagogue. In other words, you could never go to church anymore, and you were actually considered outside of God's will and on your way to hell. Immediately, your family, immediate and extended, considered you a disgrace. In other words, if you want to get rich like this, you have to burn every single bridge you've got. Family, faith, future, done. And this guy's the head of that tribe. Now, Zacchaeus is a human being. And it says in verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. There's no explanation of why Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. My guess is Jesus was really famous. It would be like us saying, well, you know, the guy walking down my street, he's trending on Twitter. Everyone takes Instagram photos of him healing and talking. Why wouldn't I want to go see him? He's sort of like the the basic show, the curiosity. He's the cool next passing fad. Maybe. Maybe he's seeking more, but it's not clear yet. And then Luke includes something else. Zacchaeus was short. Not just short, he was really short. Now, anyone who's short will tell you they're tired of short jokes. They will also tell you, if you really have a real relationship with them, the deep insecurity and pain and psychological hurt many of them walk through their whole lives. 
Now, that's not change that I know about in any culture or period, but actually being vertically challenged didn't just lead to abuse and ridicule and, and stupid short jokes. It's actually much worse. See, within Roman times, and especially within Jewish culture, to be abnormally short, whatever that means, is a sign of morality. If you were short, it was a sign that God had cursed you in the womb because of sin you were about to commit, or your family had already sinned. So not only is this man, the chief tax collector, working with an occupational government, ripping off his own people, excommunicated from the synagogue, his own stature is a declaration that God doesn't love him and never will. Can you imagine his life? I envision it like this. The day comes, sweat, another hot day, the great teacher's coming, the crowd gathers, 5, 10, 50, 100, all of Jericho suddenly is around the spring. As he walks out, he sees the crowd. I'm sure his stomach went to knots. They all knew him as tough and dangerous. He had Roman thugs to back him up, but I'm sure he got scared around them every time. I mean, he probably knew a lot of them. From his office, he got up, he went into the crowd, and the crowd hated him. And I'm sure the tension every time he walked near something just grew anger, palpable hatred, people looking at him out of the corner of their eyes. It's like suddenly something controls the crowd, and they block off his access to even seeing Jesus. Of course, the crowd couldn't touch him because he had Roman backing, but they could, they could be passive-aggressive. I mean, they, they could make his life a social, living, lonely hell because he deserved it. I suppose Zacchaeus would have said, well, I chose this. I chose this. Seeing, not seeking. Curious, not expecting. Outsider, distant, hated by God. A moment meeting with Jesus will have no outcome or consequence, but I'd like to see him. I mean, he's famous. He heals people driving out demons. That would be cool to see. Maybe, just maybe he'd want to talk to, no, no, of course he wouldn't. I'm one of those people. So it said he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. The tree, by the way, is an oak tree in Jerusalem and in that area in Israel. It's short trunk, lateral branches. It's easy to climb, but don't miss it. By going up the tree, he would now expose himself even more to the hateful crowd. And, of course, people of great position and power don't do this unless Jesus is a really profound draw, which he was, or maybe more is going on. The moment happens here. When Jesus reached the spot. Jesus is walking up the street. Crowds, I'm sure, are massive. Yelling, watching, seeing. The sick are being laid on the side of the road, hoping he would heal them. They had heard rumors he did that. They were waiting for him to speak. I mean, catch it in the midst of the paparazzi, the sick, the clawing, the yelling, the prayed of one, the disciples. Suddenly, as he's walking, Jesus stops. The crowd would have wanted something, but he doesn't speak, he doesn't heal, he doesn't preach, he doesn't cast out demons, he just looks. But he doesn't just look, he looks up, but he doesn't just look up, he looks up beyond the crowd, he looks up into this small tree, and at that moment, at that moment, at that moment, Jesus' eyes look into the eyes of Zacchaeus. See, this is how it's always happened. God always, when he moves, calls people out of hiding. 
When Adam and Eve fell, the first thing they did was hid, and God came among the trees and said, come out of the tree, for we are now going to talk. And the same God that walked with Adam and Eve is now going to walk again and call someone else out of another tree, because life is about to be given. So Jesus stops, and he looks up, and he said to Zacchaeus, to a man of power, to a man with Roman backing, to a man who was feared, to a man who had been hated, to a man who had such pain since he was born. Zacchaeus, you come down now, immediately. I must stay at your house today. I'm sure he would have been shocked out of his mind. I mean, that he'd stop among this whole crowd. And not just stop, but look, but not just look, but look at me. And then you address me by name. How do you know my name? How, how do you know? See, Jesus always takes the initiative. It always takes God to move for us because we're never really looking for him. As John would record, Jesus says, No one comes to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I must stay at your house today. But I'm a tax collector, Jesus. Make me out of the whole crowd? You want to eat with me? Do you not see all the other righteous people and the sick people? You, you want to stay at my house? Well, as, as he's trying to compute this, suddenly he realizes Jesus has actually said this. So he, I suppose, shimmied down the tree or jumped. I have no clue. And it says he came down at once and he, he welcomed him gladly. Like this is the same language in Luke, by the way, used by the shepherds when, when the angels showed up and said, today, 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 a Savior has been born among you. Go find him. And it says that they ran because they wanted to find him and be found in him and changed by him. And so what was promised at the Christmas story and the shepherds now Zacchaeus is joining in and he welcomes Jesus into his multi-million dollar home and he does it with joy because Jesus not only wants to eat with him this is the coming sign of forgiveness Zac is blown away full of joy I didn't expect this I wasn't really looking I can't believe this is happening and yet as he is out of his mind excited everything else is burning down around him everything else is crashing all the people not some all the people saw this and they began to mutter he's gone to be in the house or be a guest of a sinner. Anger. Frustration. What are you doing, Jesus? We love your miracles. We're into those and your deliverances, your teaching. Wow, epic and profound. But your personal associations, we got to work on this. What are you doing? This guy is a thief with Roman backing. The guy he works for killed my brother. And he's so short, you know he's under God's curse. He's a thug, he's a traitor to God, he's a traitor to our family, he's a traitor to every Jew, he is a traitor to Yahweh himself. And by the way, Jesus, you say you're so holy. If you eat with him and you stay in his house, it is nothing less than saying you're okay with his sin and lifestyle. Are you okay with it, Jesus? We've written him off, why haven't you? What transpires over food and time, minutes or hours, we don't know, is this. Zacchaeus doesn't just meet Jesus, he meets him. 
He turns, he repents, he hears the same things that Jesus said to the adulterous woman. You are no longer condemned. Zacchaeus gets forgiven. And the response to this holy divine encounter of love is evidence in such a deep DNA change that happens almost instantaneously. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now. Here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, oh, you're telling me he's cheated everyone. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. See, he's not buying his way into the kingdom. He's not saying, look how good I am, Jesus. Now love me. No, because he has met Jesus alone and grace alone and now has faith alone and he has entered the kingdom of God, now he says, watch me demonstrate forgiveness for real. And he says these profound words. Because of a new relationship with the God of Israel through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, I will do two things. First, I will give half my possessions to the poor at this moment. And then second of all, anyone I have wronged, I will give restitution four times. Now that's pretty profound, but let me tell you why it's more radical than you think. In Jesus' day, if you gave 20% of your income to God, you were considered the most generous, the most radical in your giving. This guy says 50%, done. But he's not done. And then he says, I know my Old Testament. Oh, what? He said, oh, I know God's law. And I am a thief. And not only am I a thief, I am a red-handed thief. Watch this. In the book of Exodus, chapter 22, God talks about how to deal with thievery. It says, a thief must make full restoration for what is stolen. So you've got to give back what you took. A thief who is unable to pay is sold for his thieving. If caught red-handed with stolen goods of an ox or a donkey, a lamb, and they're still alive, the thief must pay double. He stands up and says, God's standards aren't good enough for me. Not two times, four times. This is how deeply I am changed. I didn't just utter a prayer. I didn't just go to some altar call or sign some card and say, yes, I believe in Jesus and have no life change. No, I want you to know I have really met the Messiah. I have met God in flesh. flesh. I am going to now begin a radical new life. I am repenting of my former life and I'm turning away from a history that was not under the reign and rule of God, but under the reign and rule of myself and Caesar. Now I choose the reign and rule of God through Jesus and I am willing to lose thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of dollars, because it is worth it. Do you see the contrast now? The rich young ruler just walked away the day before, because he thought it wasn't worth it. And this man gives it away and finds life. Jesus says these next words, today, Right now, at this moment, in this time, salvation has come into this house because this man, Zacchaeus, is the son or is a son of Abraham. There's a spiritual status that's changed. He's born again. Conversion. The kingdom has come. Can I just stop and just say something? This is the difference between genuine faith and inherited faith. 
Zacchaeus grew up Jewish, but now he actually is part of the remnant. I don't care if you've grown up in a Christian home or your ethnicity is has some Christian. No, no, no. You have to move from inherited faith to genuine faith through an encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus says it. I love this. Son of Abraham. You go, yeah, yeah, he's a Jew. No. This is not talking about ethnic bloodlines and status because Luke, if you read the Gospel of Luke, continually says that status does not and birthright does not earn you anything with God. Jesus is declaring something absolutely profound. You are now a true believer in the true God through me, Jesus Christ. Holy contact through God's Holy Son has changed his heart to be holy and he has been changed forever. He now really is a son of Abraham. And just like Abraham, Zacchaeus is the recipient of call and grace, which he accepts and he begins a new journey to a new promised land where he had to give up his old life to begin a new life, but the new life is always better. And then Jesus does one last thing. One sentence, 14 words that not only summarize the encounter, not only summarize our whole series, But summarize our whole faith. You want to know what Christianity is all about? It's right here. This is it. If you're new today and you don't know anything, this is it. Ready? For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. You know, the Son of Man is a title for Jesus. We don't use it very much in our worship songs or in our preaching. But let me tell you what it means. Son of Man was used by the gospel writers and by those around Jesus to express that Jesus really is human. He didn't just appear human. He's fully human and fully God. In other words, he actually is our creator, and yet he took on flesh so we could truly know who God is and relate to him. Aren't you thankful God decided to do that for us? Son of Man. But it's scarier and more beautiful than that. See, in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, Son of Man is the title of the one who all of humanity will stand in front of, and the Son of Man will judge humanity and decide who goes into eternal life and who goes to eternal death. Now, here's what's absolutely profound and beautiful. The Son of Man sits in the house of a sinner under the supposed curse of God and says, as ultimate judge, you are a child of Abraham. You're saved. All the beauty and the diversity of our movement that though our God is holy judge, he is holy love. So Jesus comes and he says, I have come to seek and save what was lost, but let me just stop and remind our church this morning and all of you watching online, if you understand the call of Jesus, then you are immediately confronted with yourself and myself and all of us because the true condition of humanity is not found but lost. Lost. As Paul says in Romans 3.9, like I said last week, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and non-Jews are all alike under the power of sin. It is written in the Old Testament, there is no one righteous. There is not even one person in right standing with God globally. There's no one who understands God truly. There's no one who is truly seeking God. Not truly. That is the lost condition of humanity. 
Or as Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, as for you, chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins when you used to live, uh, that you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, not seeking, not understanding, spiritually dead, owned by a tyrant named Satan. Lost. It was Augustine the great church father who himself has quite a story of lostness. If you ever want to read his, you ever want to watch his video testimony, just read the book Confessions. It's great. He said, all were lost. From the moment the one man sinned in whom the whole race was contained, Adam, the whole race was lost. But then one man without sin came, and he would save them from their sin. Jesus comes seeking, and then Jesus comes Saving. Saving. This is Jesus' job and his desire and his want and his driving passion. This is the eternal covenantal agreement within the Trinity that Jesus comes for us when no one could get for him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus will not die but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. He seeks us out and he saves us. He, he saves Zacchaeus. This one encounter that Zacchaeus has is actually the foreshadow of what Jesus is about to accomplish on the cross. Don't again miss the context of the story. Jesus is in Jericho, yes, to meet Zacchaeus, but he's actually in Jericho so he can get to the cross to make everything right for all of us. Let me just, I'm going to preach in that one act, in that one act. The crux of history, in the middle of history, stands the cross of Christ where Jesus dealt with every barrier between us and the God we walked away from in the garden. And if in you embrace embrace Jesus like Zacchaeus, you get saved. See, we preach this around Easter. He pardons you. He liberates you. He fills the gap for you. He covers you. He prays for you. He steps in for you. He stands for us. He pays the ransom for us. And he makes us clean. We actually get the name Zacchaeus back, innocent and clean. And not only that, this is where Jesus makes us friends. And at the cross of Christ, even more powerful is this, Jesus as warrior overcomes all evil. At that moment, Christ drove out the prince of the world. And right there, Jesus the Christ spoiled their forever plans. He made a mockery of Satan. He made a show of Satan in front of heaven and earth. He stripped them of their power and made them walk naked behind him because he had decided that Zacchaeus and anyone else who calls upon the name of the Lord is worth dying for fighting for, freeing, and resurrecting at the end of time. That is the gospel of Christ. Now, for years, I've grown up in church. I've been a Christian 36 years. I used to read the story of Zacchaeus in my picture Bible. I remember doing it while someone like me was yapping on because I was bored. It was interesting. Did you sing the song? I'm surprised no one broke out yet. Okay, you know, if you didn't grow up in church, there's a terrible song. Zacchaeus was a wee- yeah, yeah, don't do it. Okay. Yeah, climbed up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I always, I never asked till this week, what happened to him? I mean, you don't find them in the scriptures. And I started digging around with, uh, you know, in the church father era, the patristics, they call it in scholarly terms. 
And then I found something. Christian leaders, just after the death of John in 90 AD, talk about Zacchaeus. I was totally intrigued. Some of the earliest church leaders after the death of the apostles speak about Zacchaeus. And here's what happened, according to church tradition. Peter went to Zacchaeus, so they knew each other. Isn't that cool? And said, Zacchaeus, I'm making you the bishop of Caesarea. And Zacchaeus said no, and Peter said, I don't care, you're doing it. So I want you to catch the power of this. Zacchaeus, the short under the curse of God, man. Zacchaeus, the ripping off man. Zacchaeus, the one who, a collaborator, who meets Jesus, is then made by one of the heads of the church, the top pastor, bishop, elder, of a whole Christian community. Let me just declare again, life change is always possible. If Zacchaeus can become someone like a pastor, anything can happen to any of us in this room. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you Zacchaeus? Curious, not expecting. Never thinking God would really want to meet with you, eat with you, uh, change you, forgive you. Or maybe you thought maybe you just didn't need Jesus. Or, or maybe you'd say, well, I really need him, but he'll never talk to me. Like, my life, my job, my history, this, just look. There's just too much water underneath the bridge. There's too many things to overcome. The crowd's too big. My life is too sinful. My debts to God and others are through the roof. Uh, You know, look, I'm just spiritually, literally short. It will never happen. Let me ask you a different question. Are you deeply successful, but your success has cost you your life? Are you a person with power and you've used your title or your position or power for ill-got gain? Have you lost your marriage, your wife, your children because you've made something else more important? Jesus, this same Jesus, I love what Pastor Chris started by saying, Jesus is actually in this room and he is online right now and he is stopping now, right now in this room and he is speaking to you by name. Let your guard down. Move from unexpected and sort of curious to believer. Find hope now. Lay down your whole life. Be ready to give up anything for a sake of a love that is better than anything that you could earn, steal, or swindle because you can't take any of it when you die. Power, money, sex, and reputation do not last, and they are fickle, but they can never replace a love that is actually from God. Let your guard down and not only experience the forgiveness of sins. Let your guard down and not only let God speak to you by name. No, let me give you a deeper, more profound promise too. Let your guard down, Zacchaeus, and let Jesus heal you of what the crowd has said over you your whole life. And what you have said over your life, your whole life. There is not a wound, there is not an action, there is not a self-harming situation that our Lord did not die for and cannot heal. Jesus comes to you rich and powerful and involved and yet institutionally inappropriate people and says forgiveness is real and healing is real and restoration is real and deep down DNA at your core change is possible. Why? Because of, no, no, because Jesus who's talking to you right now is actually God himself.
Would you be willing this day, this moment, this time to say these words? Jesus, I want you to come home, my home, me. Come home with me. If you're really seeking me, you've got to save me because I'm in too deep. If that's you, just would you pray this sincerely? This is a holy moment again. Just, just pray. So say, Jesus, if you came to seek and save lost people, that's me. So simply put, right here and right now, right here and right now, I turn. My life is yours. I repent of all sin. And I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Call me by name. I want to be called innocent and clean because of you. I believe you died for me. You've risen. I don't even understand why I'm saying this. But now, come, call me out of hiding. I want to know and have life. I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I give two last thoughts before I'm done? To many of us in this room, we are former Nicodemuses and former adulterous women, and some of us were haters against Christianity. We were Saul, and now we're Paul. Some of us are former rich young rulers who gave up everything to be with Jesus, or we're, we're former Nicodemuses. We were involved in a lot of stuff, and we met Christ. I, this is just a very important thing. Can I just say something to all of us? Because we're trying to learn from Jesus what to do. Here's the first thing I want to say. Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus has coffees and lattes with people who don't like Jesus. We are called to be among those who aren't us yet. Because we all used to be them. And someone took the time to be with us. And you, as the church, are the hands and feet. We, as the church, are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ on earth. And we are called to call people out of their sycamore trees and come home and find life. And that involves being with people. Now, one caveat. I understand some of you are saying, John, I can't go back. Because if I go back, I'm going to plunge myself into the darkness I was saved from. God bless you. Great. But the majority of Christians don't say that. The majority of Christians say, I can't do this because I think I'm better than them or I'm afraid still. Fair. The second one's fair. The first one's wrong. Just say this week, Jesus, I'm open. I'm really open to spend time with people who are not sons and daughters of Abraham yet. Help me, help me, help me. I'm afraid. And if I'm prideful, forgive me. Last thing, and then I'm done. I don't want to over-exaggerate this moment. I really don't. But I, I, I need to outline this as we end in prayer. Uh, this week I was praying for our church. Uh, I was just so thankful this week. What he's doing among us. So thankful. I'm sorry for crying all the time these days. I'm sorry. I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful. And uh, I was praying for myself and my wife and my kids in the devotional time. And I was praying for you as my family. And I was praying for the region. And I was, again, wrestling with Jesus for the region. And um, I said, Jesus, you know, what do you want to say this weekend? It's your word. And everyone knows the story of Zacchaeus, or lots of people do. And as I was listening and using spiritual disciplines to listen... He said something to me, and so I checked it as we do with other pastors to make sure it wasn't the tacos the night before, right? That it was Jesus and not the devil. And um, 
Here's what I really believe Jesus requests of us today. He said uh, these words, ask my people to stand and request that I walk through Durham and I, not the church, that I first and foremost call people out of hiding in a way that is beyond anything we could manufacture as churches in the region. And I said to the Lord, you know, like, I, I don't want to say that because it's a pastoral church. He said, no, 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 no. I am sovereign. And I don't, I'm not saying I won't do this without, I'm just I'm inviting you to request that, that the Lord Jesus Christ would walk through our Jericho and in the midst of all the crowds, he would walk up to so many unexpected people and say, you by name, and you by name, and you by name, now you're coming home, and I'm going to make you one of my children. So in this moment, like, could we stand very humbly, just very humbly, very humbly, because these are so unusual times, and they won't always be like this church. And just, again, however you want to posture yourself, but let's just, a simple request. First of all, Lord, thank you for coming home. Oh, man, and saving us. Wow. Thank you for making us real children of Abraham. Thanks for um, dying and pardoning such sin in our lives. Thankful. Some of us are Christians for a long time, and we haven't been thankful. We're thankful. We're thankful. We're thankful. But Lord, if that prompting was true, we, your people in Durham, part of your church, not the whole church, we come to you now by the Spirit, to you, Jesus. Hear our prayer. Jesus, would you come to Jericho? Would you walk through Durham? We invite you. We, we welcome you. We need you. Come into this very wealthy place. And we're asking you to go beyond just for this season, anything we could produce. Call people by name. People who aren't even looking for you or are curious, but don't expect anything of you. Please come, come, call them by name. Make them our brothers and sisters. Make them, and may the life change be so radically crazy that people would know it was nothing less and a miracle from the living Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would lead every other local church in the region who loves Christ in all of its forms, Reformed, Anglican, Baptist, Pentecostal, all the varieties. Lead them to pray similar prayers. Spirit, speak to the churches. Oh, come, oh God, nothing less than renewal because you have asked and promised it revival an awakening in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.